Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Policy Director Elizabeth Mayer joined Strategic Advisors Barry Jackson and Mark Begich for an immigration update that covers the recent decision by the Supreme Court not to review the DACA case, looks back at the 2007 effort on immigration reform, and discusses the current administration's role as a convening power on this topic. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. This one's on immigration, a little update on what's going on. I'm joined by Elizabeth Mayer and Barry Jackson. Elizabeth Mayer, policy director, is well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle. She now focuses her efforts and expertise on advising Brownstein clients about numerous legislative and regulatory issues and use her expertise to advance clients' priorities. Barry Jackson is a strategic advisor, brings a wealth of policy advice to Brownstein, where he advises clients on international and domestic issues. Barry is currently a trustee with the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, director for the National Endowment for Democracy, and president of the American Australian Council. He is one of two people to have ever served as chief of staff to the Speaker of the House and senior staff to the President of the United States. Barry served chief of staff for Speaker Boehner from 2010 to June 2012, as well as Speaker Boehner's first chief of staff from 1991 through 2001. So, Elizabeth and Barry, we, uh, so we had a Supreme Court ruling on, or not really, I, say, I keep saying ruling. They just said, no, we're not going to deal with this issue on DACA. On you know going back a few weeks, February seventh, Nancy Pelosi sat on the floor for seven eight hours doing a filibuster to talk about the immigration issue. She that, talked a lot. Yes, talked <laughs> a lot about that. Then you both served for elected folks in two thousand and seven when immigration was up again and couldn't get there. Then we had um, you know the most recent where it seemed like people were starting to work together and then. It failed. Do you think we'll ever get there? And, and I also look at this issue, and it's kind of interesting. I've noticed it's it's not purely Democrat. It's not purely Republican. It seems to be a little bit of geographic issues, uh, economic issues, kind of a little bit of mix. Do you think we'll ever get to a real immigration reform that isn't just a one-off issue. And I guess I'll start with Barry, then go to Elizabeth Barry. I mean, you were in the trenches, in essence, right? Trying to move a bill that people thought, hey, there might... And then here we are again, it's like deja vu. What do you yeah, think? It very much is deja vu, Mark. And, it, and it, it comes down to, on this issue for lots of reasons, you, you outlined them in a polite way of regional <laughs> and all, but it, it came down to politics. And in 2007... Um, I have no doubt an agreement was on the table because you had Senator Kyle, you had Senator Kennedy, you had the administration, all were in their good faith effort. Ultimately, politics is what blew it up. It wasn't policy, it was politics. And where you're at today, what's so interesting about it is that even on that small kind of subset of issues about DACA versus border security, mm-hmm. Where people like to say that there's an there's agreement, I think what stops it is politics because people think, oh, I'm giving away leverage that I can use on my other issues. And you know, you know, during your service, mm-hmm. and more and more it's the case on these kinds of issues, it takes a crisis 
for Congress to move. And the maybe unfortunate, depending on how you look at things, of the Supreme Court's decision to not intercede at this point was it eliminated what was a point of crisis, March 5th. And so I, I feel that every day that goes on and every week that goes on, politics just makes it less and less likely We'll get a, an immigration bill that you really need and you really want. What do you think, Elizabeth Mayor? I mean, you again, you were also in 07 in the trenches, and here we are again in the trenches from another viewpoint. So what do you think is going to – what I, happens here? Yeah, I, I uh, completely agree with Barry's assessment. Um, I, I will just add quickly that, you know, the issue of immigration, it's like playing a game of whack-a-mole. If, if you bat one – down a different issue pops up and so on a policy level those entities that see one issue getting taken care of they then say well i want mine and then they come back and then another group come back comes back and another group comes back and literally the immigration encompasses health labor immigration national security it encompasses almost every issue, agriculture, every issue that you can think of. And so it's very, very difficult to solve. In 2007, there was a good faith effort. The president was a real leader on this. My old boss was a conservative voice who wanted sincerely to get something done. And when have you ever heard that Senators Kyle and Kennedy were producing a package together? It was ripe for the making. It was, I believe, one of the last times that something really good could have happened. But the politics of it is what got in the way. All of the entities that wanted perfection came to the table too late to support a product. And it's happened over and over it's happening now. It's happened in 2013. Business groups came too late to support it. Advocacy groups came too late to support it. And in the intervening weeks, talk radio was organized and they killed the bill. And it was all politics. And that's what happens over and over and over. And unfortunately, is what is happening today as well. Do you think, uh, I mean, that's, I, I remember some of the debate back then. I mean, it was the, the you know, the, the phrase, you know, this is just amnesty. This is just a free ride. And, you know, so many others that materialized on talk radio. Do you think because of the inability for Congress at this moment to get immigration done, and maybe, Barry, you might be able to comment on this as someone who worked in the administration, do you think there's going to be more administration efforts to do the policy they're hoping for in regards to immigration? In other words, using to the outer limits and what's allowable in executive order and regulatory process to just kind of, okay, we can't get there, so we're going to do what we want to do. And I was reading a report recently about the immigration services, and it's it, it, it's, I can't remember if they did it or who did it, but they changed their mission statement to, you know, which, you know, people think, oh, who cares, mission thing. But it actually is a, it it makes a difference to the employees to know what their task is. Yeah. So, so Mark, I'll tell you the, the, um, obviously the voice of the president and the cabinet matters an awful lot. But I think one of the most important tools that's not recognized that is almost unique to the 
president in the White House is their convening power. Mm-hmm. So as, as Elizabeth was talking about people who are only interested in a single issue, so maybe it's just the DACA portion, without the convening power of the president to sit there and say, everybody who has an interest in this, we're all sitting at a table, and everybody's issue will be brought up, everybody's issue will be discussed, you may have to wait your turn. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember in in 07, you know, poor John Cornyn, the, I forget, Title II or whatever it was, which had all of the judicial stuff in it. Everybody kept telling him, no, we'll get to that, John, we'll get to that. <laughs> and it was one of the very last topics, but it was really important to him. I, I noticed the other day, you know, the president had all the major heads of the international unions, you know, Trumka and Hoffa and right, everybody was there. You know, if you're a citizen of this country and you get a request to go to the White House, you're going. You do it, right? Unless you're maybe a sports team or something. Yeah, but yeah. If you, you care know, about policy, you'll show up. You're going to show up. And and when I speak of the convening power, one of the things that we did in '07, um, and I think was lacking in President Obama's administration on this topic, was you. If you're going to do this, you have to stick at it. And so we had weekly meetings. And Almost like a war room. It, it, and it was. And, and Eliseo, who was you know, uh, on the agriculture side of the union issues, w- w- was always sitting at the table. We had La Raza. We had all of that. Right. We had the chamber. We had everybody. And we'd have meetings, and people would have to listen to things that they really didn't care about. But the fact that they were in the room and everybody could hear what the trade-offs are. And that's – the president wants anything done. That's where he's got to be moving to. Let me ask you one other quick question related to that. You do work on international level, too, so with some associations you work on. Is there any negative repercussions if we, as a country, don't deal with this issue? I mean, do foreign governments that you deal with – I know I have a couple that I've talked to in the past, uh, people who represent these foreign governments – do you think they they look at this and say, oh, this is a problem, or is it on the list? I, I guess that's a question for either well, I think Well, I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's country by country specific. You know, the Canadians, for instance, um, they actually have a system that's pretty close to what a lot of the business community and conservatives would like to talk about, that it's needs-based, economic-based. Merit-based. Merit-based, you know, merit based. Right. There's openings for diversity and, you know, but um, we like to hold that up as, oh, why can't we be like them? Mm-hmm. Well, or you think about the Indians, which, you know, their issue on immigration tends to be more H2B, high-tech kind of of right. things, which is access to our education system and more integration of workforces. Mm-hmm. Mexico, for instance, beyond just NAFTA issues of of a North American integrated manufacturing flow, they have their own challenge and they're interested with us on their southern border, mm-hmm. what's coming across from, you know, particularly the Golden Triangle. So it is an issue, but I think each country looks at it differently. Than, than we do. And what they're mainly interested in is us having the largest inflow of immigrants of any country in the world, how that impacts on them if somehow we change in a drastic way. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Mayer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have seen some statistics that of late travel numbers are down a little bit um, worldwide into the United States. 
I don't know. I'd have to pick those numbers apart to sort of see how legitimate they really are. But I agree with Barry. Um, it is country to country. But on a very broad level, uh, I think that a lot of these embassies and countries, they just they want certainty. Um, they just feel very... And whatever une- the U.S. policy is. Yeah, they right. feel very uneasy about all of these rumors, um, for example, that new regulations or limits are going to come out from um, the Trump administration through DHS, let's just say, on the ability of um, spouses of H-1B workers Mm -hmm. to get an employment authorization document while they're here with their spouse. So that creates a ripple of unknown. Yeah, it creates kind of a ripple and... And um, and and that makes uh, a lot of of these countries a bit uneasy. On the other hand, they also have varying priorities, as Barry mentioned, um, even down to how the numbers flow. Whether they prefer an emphasis on family, um, mm-hmm. continuing family ties based immigration, or if they would be just as happy with sort of removing the family aspect of it and putting in immigration um, priorities for hard to fill occupations, for mm-hmm. example. You know, so the bottom line is if if a system could be devised that struck a good chord with a combination of of um, priorities for families still, um, but also an emphasis on skills, mm-hmm. you know, that would seem to make folks happy. And and that that type of system is, um, frankly, what's tripping up getting something done also. Everybody thinks it's the border wall, and I believe a lot of Democrats will say that that's what it is. But the border wall is just money. That's all that is. That's how much do you put toward it. And that can be defined however it is um, that a compromise will get you to. Right. But it's the actual system itself that Mm. is so complicated. Um, You go to per-country limits. You go to backlogs. And trying to solve it on an omnibus appropriations bill or tacked on to a DACA fix, it just might be a, a, a bite too far. Yeah. So, Well, let me, you just kind of opened up the, the next question I had, which I, is, so here we are, February, March, where, you know, we're going to have budget activity, appropriations. Do you think this comes up in some form, and if so, is it generated out of the House or really the Senate? Where, where, what happens here? Is it going to be one of these cards? I mean, the last time this was played by the Democrats, it was like up, down, out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. it's like like everyone looks at what happened there. Why? I thought you were going to play hardball, and then it's like, yeah, you know. So this gets into the the two chambers and how they look at each other. Right. And, or don't. Or don't. <laughs> More often. <laughs> you know, I, I always tell people it is impossible to roll the other chamber unless it wants to be rolled. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a negotiated process and, <laughs> of you know, And in this case, you know, in the House, they don't want this bill dictated to them by the Senate, right. which was part of the problem in the 2013 effort, was is it felt that way. So I... I well, it was. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely, I mean, it absolutely was. was. You know, and a tough lesson for Marco, you know, yeah. his first go around with Chuck Schumer and... Yeah, he learned the hard way. But in this case, I think, I think the House does intend to try to move something, something. closer to what you would call a comprehensive bill. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe as much as a defensive measure, so that the Senate doesn't jam them. 
they're able to say, Look, we voted, we've taken our position mm-hmm, on this. Mm-hmm. So you guys have to take that into account. Um, they still have their own problems, obviously, in the House and right. in, in, in the, you know, however you want to split the baby up here. Um, as you said at the outside, the different interests, whether it's agriculture interests or ID programs, right. all those types of things. But I think they're going to make a good faith effort at it. Um, and they're going to try to get it done before the March 23rd approps bill so that um, it blocks it, it or it strengthens those who make the argument this is such a big issue, it shouldn't be tag, jammed yeah, up on. into a big omnibus something bill. You know, speaking as a Democrat, I mean, I think that Democrats, you know, and I sarcastically said what happened last time, and I think they they played it in an odd way. You know, they, I get what they wanted to play hard. But then it was like the whole team wasn't on. And Nancy Pelosi showed that by not whipping her own votes at a level that should have been. Uh, And, you know, I'm not sure the appetite, as you look, especially in the Senate, of the seats at risk for Democrats, is this the item they're going to take on? Right. When really there's something more important to a North Dakotan or West Virginian right. or Montanan, and you know, and this is politics. And, and that's right. It's once again it's seeping back in again in a way that may even get the smaller, and I say smaller, one or two off bill not able to even move forward because of this other politics. Right. right. And the um, the emergency um, that that for many still exists related to DACA uh, because of loss of status, because they're in a process for for renewal and DHS doesn't have the number of cards or whatever that um, that they will need to re-up all of these um, folks in the DACA class continues to make it kind of an emergency, but a lot of folks aren't going to think it is an emergency. And so it remains to be seen whether a, a, a a bridge or a patch will get included in some sort of omnibus bill mm-hmm. that passes after, as Barry alluded, um, the House, uh, because of the commitment, I believe, that Speaker Ryan made uh, to the conference that he would uh, bring up an immigration bill will sort of dictate what happens. But from what I'm hearing is that they believe that the Goodlatte bill, which some people believe is somewhat draconian because it doesn't um, keep a level number of green cards. It prioritizes, but effectively sort of cuts the yeah, number of annual green cards. Right. But that's what I'm hearing will be the starting point, And there will be efforts to improve it. And there will be some sort of DACA fix included in it. That bill has not a prayer mm. of passing in the Senate. So it's a commitment that Speaker Ryan made. Senator McConnell made a commitment. They weren't able to produce anything out of mm-hmm. the Senate. Mm-hmm. And then who knows what happens. Then everybody goes back to their corner and another year goes by. So we'll see what happens. From my sources, I don't really believe that the Senate is going to dedicate another week or two to this issue. So it really remains to, and it, to and be it gets seen. And it gets back Mark, to one of the things I said at the front end about, you know, on big issues, Congress moves on crisis. And the thing about the immigration debate, and let's take DACA, set aside the merits of the arguments, but nobody in the country believes that whether it's 
1.2 million or 3 million DACA recipients are going to be mass deported. Right. It's, it's one of those classic cases where the rhetoric far out... It, and this is where the public is a lot smarter than politicians often give them credit for. Right. So it's hard to say that we've got this crisis when nobody believes... The, well, yeah, when the general public says, not really. It's not really. Right. And so many of the immigration issues, they are hard issues within specific sectors. I mean, if you, you know, you know the specialty ag issues within mm-hmm, Alaska mm-hmm. and trying to find a workforce. And so That's you right. go into our fishing an, industry. It's a huge right. issue in our hotel industry. Yeah. So so you can find those sectors. And yet to them, it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. But is it a national crisis? Does it feel that way? Right. No. no. Which gets back to this convening power. Everybody's got to have skin in the game. And everybody has to understand for their fix to happen, mm-hmm. somebody across the table has to get a fix also. Do you think, you know, and I'll close out on this. So here we are in a, uh, an economy that's low unemployment, robust, activities occurring. It seems like this is the time to fix this issue because the need for workers. When, you know, if you go back four or five years ago when the recession was going on, everyone, in the, even though 93% of the population was employed who wanted to work, you know, people always have the other number they talk about, but they forget this other big number. But people felt like, I don't have a job or my friend doesn't have a job. I'm not giving the job to anyone else. But here we are in a robust economy. It seems like the right window, this next couple of years at least, but if you read a lot of the economists and some of the even the corporate people right now are starting to comment that you know the economy might get overheated and create a small recession or something in a few years, it seems like this is the, if you think of the if you think of how you do this from a policy political, you want to be in the right zone. Do you think? We'll never have the right timing on the zone, I guess. Is it just kind of like whatever happens, we hope it works in the right year? And well, well this gets it, it's interesting because there's 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 topics embedded within immigration that people hate to talk about, and like one of them, when you're talking about how do you control inflow, how do you track whatever, mm-hmm. you're basically talking about setting up a national ID system, right? Which you, which I can tell you, Western states. Yeah, flip out. Yeah, so so you get <laughs> they your like to hide. you get your ACLU types and your libertarian they types. And they may, uh, we're not doing that. Right. But, so your point about the economic timing of this. So yeah, you're going to get to a point, and you know all of my experience with the issue and, and survey issue survey work shows. Americans, by and large, are not anti-immigrant. They're rules-based. Right. And part of the rules base is this. So when you talk about when you go into a recession and you know now might be the right time to do this, I think you'll have a lot of people will say, okay, but that means that when the recession comes, that everybody's clear where their status where is, which is. means that some type of identification system is in place. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because, in a way, we are clearly moving to a more nationalized, you know, I see more people now at the airport carrying their passport than, you know, when they ask to see your ID. I see people, and you look and you go, well, that's just kind of unusual, because it used to be whatever your driver's license, and I still use my driver's license, but a lot of people... I sit in that line and I watch, mm-hmm. and it's passport driven because of all the rules around 
driver's licenses to make sure they actually are accurate and people are a little worried can i get on the plane today not tomorrow and 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 some states giving non-citizens driver's license and illegal right you know in foreign countries passports are like that's your right that's it you when i travel i think you probably see it too that that's what they use it's not a you know your state id or government id it's here's my passport that's how i get on the plane period I mean, what do you think? Is it timing? Is it, are we where we are, just muddle along and hope yeah. something hits the I right mean, moment and Barry, crisis occurs? <laughs> Barry is uh, bringing up all of these issues that, that people just honestly, I mean, these are important issues you have right. to deal with if you're going to work on a comprehensive bill. And no one's talking about these issues right now. See, I remember in 07, I think it was Pew had estimated that more than half of the undocumented in the country actually came Legally. under full legal documentation. You're absolutely right. That statistic is absolutely correct. So if you're a you know Joe Sixpack working class guy, you're like, okay, Pew how also, did we lose them? Right. right. Pew Where'd also, they go? But Pew also showed, you know, and, and you can have an opinion one way or the other about this, and this is really getting into the weeds, that of the population of folks who had come in an undocumented status, like two years or three years out, the vast majority of them were unattached males under the age of 25. And if you broke it down like that, people weren't as sympathetic just generally as they are. About DACA kids. About DACA kids or just the general undocumented population. So, you know, Barry, as usual, is bringing up these deeper issues that need to be on the table um, to answer your question about, you know, economic cycles. And I believe in in this country that, you know, irrespective of what a president does or doesn't do, in some ways, the economy is cyclical. But that's another issue. Uh, do you just work on something, try to get it passed? Or do you try to tie uh, sort of a temporary program and folks come here and they have an opportunity or a shot for a green card. But if they come here and they don't do that and the economy goes sour, um, are you able to go back and look at um, unemployment rates and and match, and, it and match it to folks who haven't applied for a green card to say, we thank you very much, but you know, you might have to go. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to do. Right. We tried to do it, tried to figure it out, tried to figure have out a way for a, a reasonable system. BLS, Department of Labor, um, statistics are really hard to come by when you break down to occupation, mm-hmm. to level of education, et cetera. And so once again, um, you know, maybe there's a simple way to do it and everyone just has to hold their breath and say, you know, it's time to do this. We don't know that the economy is going to go bad. Right. And folks need employees. I just don't know if it can get done. You know, let me close on this and say, I think immigration, first, thank you both for being here. I think this is a complicated issue because as you touch one, it unravels something else. And then that something else has another impact to another part of the economy or policy or whatever it might be. And at some point, and I, and I agree with you, Barry, on your earlier comment, it's, it's a crisis that's going to drive this. And it will be a crisis beyond what we have seen today, I think. I think we've seen these moments, right? But they're not the crisis that suddenly says, if we don't do this, something really bad's going to happen. And I think that's not there yet. 
And when that occurs, there'll be this rush. The question will be, in the rush, will they take what they've done in the past and use it as the base, or will they just create something to survive? And I don't know. That's an interesting, as this place works, sometimes the crisis in the weekend creates the bill on a Monday and a passage on a Thursday, and then there's a hangover the following Monday. Well, (laughs) you know, know, because we may be approaching that crisis point, and... And unlike, okay, the Social Security trust fund's going empty and Reagan and O'Neill and they right, put together a the fix. Right. But in this case, you know, people talk on, uh, like the three-legged stool of fixing immigration. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, what do you do with the folks that are here? How do you deal with security? And then how do you set up a system that meets the needs and, and the moral side of, of our country? Part of that equation, and I think is where the crisis comes from, is is a sense of national identity. And if you think about President Trump's campaign, mm-hmm. very much focused on the economics, and it was this notion of people looking up and saying, "I don't recognize." my town anymore right. or you know I, f- I feel uncomfortable being who I am mm-hmm. and I remember in the Bush White House that was always a component we always had it as a fourth leg which is if you're coming here whether you're coming in a temporary status or a permanent status that you have civic responsibilities and part of that is the melting pot aspect of this mm-hmm. you keep your own culture you keep all your identity but you're an American first, which means right. certain things. And I always say that's, and it's a really sensitive topic, but that's underlying a lot of this immigration debate. That may end up being the crisis because the debates you're hearing now is more and more about this personal level. You know, you're not an American. Right. You don't speak English. You wave your flag. You don't wave the American mm-hmm. flag. And that's maybe more of a social crisis yep. rather than an economic crisis, which has been usually the case in the past. And and I would just add in closing, um, as well as, as we've sort of um, gotten into some of these meteor issues to bring it full circle around what Barry is talking about, are these DACA, uh, is this DACA population? And if the ruling eventually goes one way or the other, you know, we can we can talk about um, immigration levels and, you know, the types of things that that Barry mentioned. But at the end of the day, most folks do believe that the folks in the DACA population really are American and they uh, they will be put in a situation if they are in a working status, if the ruling goes one way or the other, if it goes one way, that that their employers are going to be faced with believing they might be breaking the law, people getting fired, uncertainty on a business level. And so that might be eventually sort of the mini crisis that occurs. And then something ends up passing, you know, just a a smaller, tighter sort of immigration bill in the short term. Well, very good. Thank you both very much, uh, Barry and Elizabeth, for being here and talking about uh, immigration. It's a complicated subject with a lot of pieces to the puzzle. It's not going away, uh, but I think we all agree there's probably going to be some level of crisis that drives it back into the forefront. And the question is, 
will, as a country, be ready to deal with it. I know as a firm, Brownstein firm, we're ready to deal with it. We deal with it, it seems, every day with clients who contact us in a variety of ways. But being ready and being able to assist in that effort, uh, the, the team here I know is well-versed around this. So thank you both very much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.